during that time, I ended up collecting like my first month's rent. And I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. And then I won't forget it ever. I ended up collecting the second month's rent. And all of a sudden, something clicked in my mind. I was like, I'm getting paid more or less for not doing anything. Like I'm just holding a mortgage is all I'm doing. And at that point, it like it intrigued me. And so I was like, this is cool. How can I replicate this again? Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. All right, all right. Welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. So today on the show, Justin and I have a very special guest who's actually never been featured on a podcast before. I mean, this guy is just crushing it on so many levels, and Justin and I were fortunate enough to meet him at Camp Fi South in Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah, he was actually my roommate down there, so that was very lucky for that. And I mean, this guy is the real mailman, way cooler than Carl Malone. <laughs> oh, man. So just a quick background on Jimmy. This guy's a mailman by day. He has five rental properties, and he is cash flow fi by a huge margin. He can quit his W-2 job tomorrow if he wants, but he is just the true definition of a hustler. Yeah, this guy's got house hacking. He's got ingenuity. He's got this self-starter mentality. He's got it all, and he's probably actually around bebopping, listening to this episode, delivering mail, looking for his next grab. And so without further ado, let's take it over to the man himself. Let's go, Jimmy. Well, where my life journey kind of begins doesn't start off in a happy place, unfortunately. But when when I was roughly four years old, my father was murdered. Rewind a little bit right there. I'm from New York City, or a little bit of a town outside New York City, Sleepy Hollow, New York. Mom met my dad. They got married, moved out that way. And dad goes off to Desert Storm, and then he comes back. Well, when he comes back, he wanted to become a cop in, in the city. My mom said, absolutely not. We're not going to do that. If anything, we're going to go back to my home state, Arkansas, and you can become a cop out there. So we migrate you know, down south, moved to Arkansas when I was about mm, two and a half, three years old. And during that time, um, my dad, he had this Mustang. Well, my mom wanted him to get rid of it because we have a kid, we have a family now. Um, his name was Jimmy as well. And Jimmy, you have to get rid of your Mustang. So he goes out and he attempts to sell it and all that. And during that time, he gets, you know, uh, word that he's going to become a Little Rock cop. Um, he has two weeks before he goes through the academy. And what ends up happening is he finds a guy to buy the car from him. Well, unfortunately, he goes to sell the car and the guys that were going to buy the car from him, they end up robbing him. Well, they end up accidentally killing him and then dropping his body off, you know, a couple, couple blocks down the road and garbage bags. It takes us about two or three months to find him. And at that point, um, you know, during that time, my mom, you know, is going mad and crazy, you know, trying to figure out where her husband is and everything. Anyway, what ends up happening we end up finally finding him and everything. We bury him. Well, during that time, my mom, she just goes into a deep, deep depression. She, you know, turns to alcohol, drugs, and just growing up, it was just chaos. Like, between kindergarten and second grade, I missed a whole year's worth of school just because my mom wasn't able to just get me there. And so I missed a lot of the foundation and things like that in elementary and all that. 
During that time, um, luckily my grandmother, she lived in Sherwood, Arkansas, and she would come and more or less, you know, kind of save me from the chaos. And so I'd go back and forth between my mom and my grandmother all the time, just growing up all the way until I was about 12 years old. Um, you know, and I'd see over when I was with my grandmother, everything was happy and go lucky, like their middle class family. And everything was generally positive. We went on trips, things like that. We went to Colorado. We went to Florida and things like that. And every time I hung out with them, everything was fine and dandy. When I went back to Jacksonville with, with my mother, things were, you know, chaotic, depressing, misery, and just not, not a fun time. <laughs> and so around when I was about 11, no, nine years old is when my mother ended up having my younger sister. Well, during that time, I missed a whole nother year's worth of school because I was taking care of my little sister and practically raising her until she was about the age of two. At that point, my grandmother finally intervened because we're in and out of the court systems all the time just because of you know, not missing school and just, you know, the dysfunction and everything. And at that point, that's when my grandmother finally intervened and, you know, basically more or less took us in her household. Um, we started living with her when I was about 12 years old. And, you know, things were on the up and up. At that point, uh, my aunt, she lived next door. And so I got to, you know, spend a lot of time with my cousins and everything next door. And they just, they came from, you know, a middle-class family. They, for the most part, they all worked at the post office. And they just, I don't know, they, they went on vacations. They, we cooked dinner every night and everything was lovely. During that time, my aunt, she had a, a boyfriend, and, like, he basically taught me, you know, more or less how to work ethic and things like that from 12. We uh, owned some property down um, on the Arkansas River, and so we had to go down there, and my grandfather, he had, like, a bunch of old, like, you know, uh, mechanics and things like that. And so we'd go down there, and he taught me more or less how to scrap metal and take, you know, air conditioner apart and, you know, tear the rubber off copper wire and we'd go and turn around and sell it. And so he taught me more or less how to work and do that. And so I did that from age 12 to about 14, um, taught me how to chop firewood. <laughs> there was a, a tree in the front yard and uh, more or less he just taught me how to work. And so it's my uncle Tony and he just more or less instilled this worth that big, how to make money and things that sort, you know, the value of saving money. And, you know, just putting everything back because, you know, because at the time I was I knew I when I turned 16, I wanted a vehicle and I was going to have to save up and build towards that and all that. So from age 12 to 16, I was able to amass about five grand just working, you know, chopping up metal boxes and things like that, chopping firewood and just doing all ins and out jobs for people. And so when I turned 16, I was able to purchase my uh, my truck. <laughs> it was a 1992, uh, what was it, a Ford Ranger. We called it the Danger Ranger back in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but anyway, during that time when I was about 17, that's when my grandmother passed away, unfortunately. And also during that time, my grandfather, he developed Alzheimer's really bad. And so I was constantly helping my grandmother, you know, take care of him. And all of his, you know, all the, you know, his illness and everything because he just, you know, he more or less lost his mind. So unfortunately, like he was a big businessman, you know, he, he had a boat marina, he had a, a wood shop, he had um, a furniture shop as well that he used to build furniture back in like the 80s, 90s. Um, but during that time, I mean, the late, what is it, early 2000s is when, you know, his mind started to start slipping. And so unfortunately, wasn't able to gather any skills from him. 
but took care of him until his dying day when he passed away when I was about 18 years old. I continued to live in his house because that was kind of the, uh, my aunt lived next door. And so my um, aunt allowed me and my mother to stay there. And during that time, my mother did end up getting, you know, shaping up and things like that once my grandmother unfortunately passed away. And so me and her, we took care of my grandpa until his dying day when I was 18 years old. And then at that point, uh, moved out, uh, moved into uh, one of my mom's friend's houses. She had five Dalmatians. It was horrible. <laughs> she smoked <laughs> like a freight train. She also had a grow operation in her house, <laughs> which that was interesting. But during that time, because I knew at a young age when I was about 14 years old, like this, like, I don't know the chaos and all that with everything that my mom was living. I did not want that out of life. Like the, she taught me that lesson right there. Like I learned more or less through her hardships and her, you know, downfalls and things like I did not want that life for myself. I looked at my aunt and as an example, and they seemed to have everything more or less together in life. You know, they had their problems and things like that. But for the most part, everything was always happy. And, you know, they cooked dinner every night, went on vacations. There was never any, like, worry about, like, where our next meal was coming from or anything like that. And so at age 14, I decided I'm going to go work at the post office. You know, they were successful with it. And I figured, why not, you know, go down that same path and, you know, just because and model myself after them. So... During that time, I started studying for the test. At age 16, I created a postal profile in order to, you know, like more or less try to get my foot in the door. So at age 18, I was eligible to take the test. I went and took the test, scored a 96 on it, and they were only hiring four people. I was the third person, third highest score on the postal exam. And then of August of 18 of 2009, I'll never forget the day because it's the same day I started college as well because I was unsure if I was going to get the job or not. And so I took all online classes. I took 15 hours each semester. And I'll never forget, like, more or less not having a social life whatsoever. Like, all my friends disappeared because I had 15 hours online of classes. I was starting this job at the post office. Um, and it was part-time, working 70 hours a week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And so working 70 hours a week at the post office and just, like, social life disappeared. But then at the same time, I don't know, like that's when things more or less had, you know, a turn up. And at that point, like I, between four, uh, like roughly, you know, 12 to 18, I was able to save about 10 grand. And, you know, I was so used to living on, you know, ramen and Little Caesars pizzas all the time. And just like, bare, like, you know, just like living below, well below my means. As soon as I actually had, you know, quote unquote, a big boy job and actually getting good money, you know, hammering two, $3,000 checks every two weeks. I was still so accustomed to, you know, living on this salary or, you know, like maybe, you know, like 500 bucks a month that I was able to, you know, basically set all this money back from the age of 18 to 20. At age 20, I finally decided to purchase my house. A lady, she needed, she bought it from an old deaf couple. So when I first moved in, when you rang the doorbell, all the lights in the house would flicker. <laughs> It was the crazy. It was the craziest thing ever. I finally disabled it after a year of living here, but yeah, I'm going off on tangents. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you're good, man. The the one thing I was hoping you could hit on before we get too far away from it is, you know, when you started your story, that was an awesome, incredible story. But it's a devastating and chaotic story, as you said. And I just, I'm just curious to see 
How do you think that those moments affected the way you view things like money, work, time? How did that play into this, you know, this path that we're probably going to start unveiling as you continue your story? Well, it, for sure, like it, it has shaped and molded me in a bunch of different ways. Like when I was younger, it, for, I was for sure a lot more envious, jealous of others because like I'd see like my friends and things like that. And their parents would always, you know, like, you know, be giving them things, money, you know, vacations, you know, and just everything, all their needs. They more or less would always get. And like as I've gotten older, like I've gotten away from that envy and that spite and things like that. Um, just as I've matured, but like growing up, it more or less has given me like a scarcity mentality to some degree, just because like as a kid, like I did not have a lot. And so like when I did receive things, like I would normally like kind of, you know, shell away and, you know, tuck away and things like that. So it's naturally has created me or made me into a more or less a saver more than anything, like more or less saving for a rainy day and things of that sort. That's a good segue too. Um, as somebody who grew up, you know, definitely did not have that story, but I did come from a background where we didn't, we didn't have a lot and very little at times. And I, I kind of find myself having that scarcity mentality sometimes too. And what I'm, I'm curious is, do you think you're ever going to have a problem turning that off? Now that I've been doing this for a while now, like the scarcity mentality, like I've, I've been able to shut it off more or less like it's still there in the background that more or less like is a regulator and the governor that, you know, keeps everything in check and all that. But I'm at a point now in life where when it comes to splurging and things like that, like I'll go out and I'll purchase something that I think, you know, that will benefit my life and, you know, make things easier and things of that sort. And so like, I'm just in a different place than I was when I was a kid, like when I was a kid and everything, everything was always hectic and chaotic. Well, luckily now, as I've gotten older, I've been able to kind of like push all the chaos and all the the unfortunate events and things like that out of my life. And so now I don't struggle with it near as bad just because like if I want something, I go get it. But I'm a simple man as well. So like my needs and my wants are like, I don't know that not that much. And so I don't know. I don't really struggle with it now. But then that's just because I've been able to amass, you know, the the little bit of wealth that I have created for myself all right so jimmy something that you just said is that you amassed a little bit of wealth and you just started getting your foot in the door or something like that but when we talked down in little rock arkansas at camp five south i think you mentioned that you had five properties is that correct correct yes so sir. i'd love if you could just get into how you acquired that first property and then how the other four came along because that's not just a little bit of wealth like that's a real real estate investor at that point all right. So when, okay, so my first purchase in house and all that, it was when I was 20 years old, um, purchased a house that I currently live in and currently house hacking as well. I have a roommate. And as it stands right now, when I was 23 is when I paid my house off. And at that point I had no mortgage, nothing of that sort. And so, because like during that time, they end up cutting our hours back drastically at the post office. And when they did so, I was looking at my bills and I was looking at the mortgage statement and I was seeing where I was paying all this money towards interest. And it bothered me. Like, why was I spending, you know, 400 bucks towards interest and only like 150 of it was going towards the principal. And during that time, I was making double payments and things like that because our checks, you know, we we're getting so much money and things of that sort at the post office. And I was able to amass the amount of money to actually pay my house off. And so I needed to save, I want to say it was like 
I needed to save up like uh, nine more grand in order to pay my house off. And so during that time, like I hyper focused, I went back more or less to my old ways, eating ramen, eating Little Caesars pizzas and like just saving every penny I could in order to, you know, save this nine grand up. And over, you know, over a six months period, I was able to amass that and paid my house off in full. Um, at that point, had no mortgage because in my mind, I would rather pay myself the 400 bucks in interest and just more or less re, you know, gather that wealth again. Wait, Jimmy, hold up a second. All right. Just how much did you have left on that mortgage? Like you paid your house off in full in three years. So like what was the price of this house and how much did you have on the mortgage? All right. So during the time it appraised for, I want to say 140, I purchased it for 125 and I put, I want to say, what was it? 45,000 down. Okay. Um, on the house. So my mortgage was only 80,000. So it was really, you know, small mortgage. So during 20 to, and I still had a little bit more money in the bank, but between 20 and 23 is when I was able to save roughly, you know, $80,000 on the mortgage. I mean, or save $80,000 in order to pay this off in full. Wow. So you had already saved up like 50 grand by the time you're 20 years old. That's incredible. Yes. It, it was roughly, it was a little under 50. It was like 47, 49 or something like that. <laughs> Still. <laughs> you know, not not quite 50, but, you know, close enough. <laughs> and what kind of pay is uh, the post office bringing in at that time? What, what was your salary looking like? So salary, we're hourly based. And during that time, like it was like seriously like two, $3,000 checks every two weeks. And so doing, I don't know, armchair math real quick in the calculator, between 52000 and 78000 each year. And so, like, my best year, I want to say I made $89,000 a year. And then, like, I think my worst year during that time was, I want to say, like, fifty nine or something like that. Wow. <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, like, like I was saying, like, so when I was 18 years old, I was making a decent amount of money for my age. It's crazy because I made more money when I was younger working at the post office than I do now working at the post office. Like, I think this year I'm going to clear like 55,000. Is that only because of hours changing? Hours, yes. Like, okay. so now I work 40 hours and I go home. Or, I mean, 40 hours a week and that's it. Like, I do eight hours a day and I go home. Back in the day, I would be working anywhere from 12 to 16 hours a day and six to seven days a week. Definitely don't do that now. <laughs> <laughs> so... How did you actually find that first property? What were your criteria you were looking for? And then stepping through to your other properties, you know, what were you using to find those and what were your criteria to select those? Okay, so when it came actually time to buy my first property. So once I paid my house off in full and everything, my boss at the time, she dogged me. She was telling me all the time, uh, ride an hour. Yeah, that's a foolish errand. You should never pay your house off because you need that tax write off, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Sherry, I just don't want to have to deal with, you know, having a mortgage payment. Like in my mind, like I don't want to deal with that. It's just one more bill that I don't have to worry about. Well, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You don't have a tax write off. Well, unfortunately my boss, um, her husband passed away, you know, probably a year after she told me that. Well, when he passed away, he had a handful of rental properties and she came to me and she was like, right now we're, you, you're young. You're smart. Um, you should buy my rent house. It has a renter in it already, and it, you need a tax write-off. I'm like, Sherry, I really don't want to deal with that. You know, blah blah blah. I don't know anything about, uh, you know, real estate. I don't know anything about, you know, how to manage tenants. I really don't have anything to do with that. And she was like, Ugh, you should look into it. Blah blah blah. So that evening, I come home. 
And I do a couple of Google searches, you know, like uh, real estate. You know, I, I want to say what I typed in on Google was how to manage rental property. And saw a couple forms pop up and, you know, a couple of them were bigger pockets and things like that. And so I, I hop on and I start reading a couple things and just kind of educating myself slowly on it. And so I go back to my boss and I was like, uh, Sherry, I, I don't think I want to do this. And she was like, look, the house is worth 78000 I will sell it to you for fifty. And I was like, wait, why would you do that? That makes no sense to me you know, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, what well, needs a new roof on it? And it has a couple things wrong and it's a little dated. So I go and I check out the house and everything. And for the most part, like it looked fine. Um, it did have a bad roof and everything. It was dated, but the tenant that was currently living in it, she was happy as can be and everything seemed fine with her. And so I decided, all right, Sherry, I'm going to get my tax write off again. And that was in air quotes. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to go ahead. And so I go and I apply for a loan and everything. I had to put 20% down because it was an investment property at the time. So I think my loan on it, it was only like 30 something thousand. I can't remember quote, quote me on that, but I end up getting a loan for the house, purchase the house and all that end up coming out of pocket and, you know, uh, putting a new roof on it. A new roof cost, cost me about three grand. So altogether, I had probably about like I want to say thirteen or fourteen thousand into this property, and during that time I end up collecting like my first month's rent, and I was like, okay, this is kind of cool, and then won't forget it ever. I end up collecting the second month's rent, and all of a sudden something clicked in my mind. I was like, I'm getting paid more or less for not doing anything. Like I'm just <laughs> holding a mortgage is all I'm doing, and at that point it like it intrigued me, and so I was like, this is cool. How can I replicate this again? And so I started doing a lot more research and like, you know, listening to, you know, more content, things like that. I got back on the bigger pockets forums and, you know, started reading more posts and things of that sort. Found audiobooks. And the cool a beauty thing about my job is I walk around all day. I walk about 13 miles a day. And while I'm walking, you know, I have nothing but free reign to listen to podcasts, music, and things that sort. End up finding the Bigger Pockets podcast, started listening to their content on there, found Joe Fairless's Best Real Estate Advice Ever podcast. I really liked that one because it was in short little 20-minute snippets, and you got these stories. And I won't ever forget the first one I heard of that one, and like it just clicked with me. It was about a UPS driver. And he was a UPS driver and he uh, drove at night and during the day he would go and find deals and things like that. And he had about like nine properties that he managed type thing. And I was like, oh, that sounds similar to me. And he talked about how he just, you know, listened to all these audiobooks and contents and he let, listed off all these books to read. And so I started reading those books and listening to them. Well, during that time, I found another property through a family member and purchased it. That property right there, I believe it appraised for like 48000 or something like that. I was able to buy that one for thirty um, because it also needed, you know, a lot of work done and things like that. So I got in there, painted, you know, put new flooring in, new windows, things of that sort, and did everything myself and got on YouTube, more or less learned how to do all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I knocked it out and got a renter in it, started renting it out. And then third property came along due to uh, an employee of mine, ex-employee of mine. He called me up. And he was like, hey, Jimmy, I hear you're buying real estate. I have a lady on my route that needs to sell her house. She's in a bind and she's trying to buy a condo. 
and she just needs to sell her house quick. So I go and I meet with the lady and after reading, I'm trying to think what book was it, how to negotiate real estate deals or something. I forget the name of the book. <laughs> but after listening to it, I negotiate with this girl and her house appraises for like 65,000, I believe is what it appraised for. And she needed, she owed 20 on it and she needed 22,000. And so she wanted a total of 42,000 on this house and everything like that. And I told her I'd give her 38,000. Well, she wasn't agreeing to it. And then we met in the middle. We found 40,000 and purchased that house right there. Ended up repainting everything. And it only really needed a coat of paint because it was an older lady and she just had terrible taste in paint color. And so, <laughs> yeah, she completely remodeled the kitchen, though, had brand new, beautiful cabinets in it and everything. It was a stunning house and just added a new coat of paint on it and got it rented out. And so at that point, like I decided, like, mm, I want to start jumping in this to this like a lot hardcore. And so at that point, you know, let all my employees know, like, hey, I'm purchasing houses, things like that. If you ever hear of anybody that, you know, needs to sell a house in a bind or whatnot, please let me know. And so to this day, um, something that I do, I leverage out my employees. And like anytime they bring me a deal, more or less, like anytime I tell them all the time. If anybody needs to sell the house because of divorce, family member dying or anything of that sort, please let me know and I'll take you out to lunch. You know, just you give me that lead and I appreciate you looking out type thing. And so I've done that a handful of times now and actually meeting with somebody this Friday to actually discuss, you know, potentially buying their house from them. Wow. I feel like the postman network, you guys walk by every house probably in the town. So that's <laughs> like the ultimate hack for finding real estate deals. Oh, yes. We deliver to every house in the United States, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and how about them calves, Jimmy, walking 13 uh, miles a day? Uh, I'm just saying, they're looking pretty solid right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so after this point, you're three houses deep, and you said you want to just get deeper into the rabbit hole. So what happens next, and how many houses have you acquired since that point? All right, since that point, I've acquired three more. Yes, the total of three more. And so... What ended up happening is I started looking online, you know, trying to find because something they kept saying on bigger pockets and listening things, uh, listening to the, that content and everything. I kept saying wholesaling, wholesaling. People are constantly wholesaling deals and things like that. And so I'm like, I don't even know what wholesaling is, blah, blah, blah. So I started doing a little research and found it, you know, what wholesaling was and the idea of it and typed in a simple Google search of Arkansas wholesaling homes, blah, blah, blah. Well, we got two primary people here in the central Arkansas area, uh, Justin Patterson and then uh, Paul Thompson. They have, you know, big online. My presence. boy, Paul. <laughs> oh, yeah. Paul Thompson. He's a podcaster at Ready Investor One. Very good guy. Meet up with them once a month. Met actually up with them last night over margaritas. And so good guy. <laughs> good deal. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so anyway, end up talking with Paul. He had a house that was for uh, he was wholesaling. And so decided to purchase it from him. I uh, decided I'm going to try a flip for the first time, you know, make some quick cash. So message Paul, talked to him for a bit and end up, you know, getting this uh, deal under contract with him. And I want to say I purchased it from him. It was below, it was under 50K. I don't know the exact numbers. I want to say I purchased it for, I want to say 47 or something like that. Purchased it from him for 47. And I put about, I want to say like 20 or so in. When it was all said and done after selling and everything, it took me about three months time, three and a half months to, you know, fix up and, you know, get it listed and sold. And during that time, I want to say I made 17, it was like a little bit under 18,000, almost $18,000. It was wow. 17 and some change 
on my first little flip that I've done and made some errors, went over budget by like 5k and things of that sort. But like first time, you know, learning how to do things and all that, because like I was used to, you know, doing rehabs on rentals, doing rehabs on rentals are completely different story than doing rehabs on a house to sell on the, you know, on the MLS. Did you primarily just go to, you know, a company, get them to do an estimate and contracted out all that work? Or were you doing some of that work yourself? So that was the first time that I contracted because for the most part uh, on my previous houses that I've had, I, you know, did all the work myself, fixed it up and everything like that. Well, after reading, you know, all the content and everything there and talking with Paul, he's like, farm that stuff out. Your time is more valuable than that. And so I actually hired a general contractor. He came out there, did work. And for the most part, like I did the finishing touches on everything, but general contract did 90% of the work. And the only thing I did was pick up a phone call and write checks pretty much. And it was great. <laughs> Do you have any tips for people on how they can make sure they're getting a, a fair quote or just things to look out for when they're looking for a contractor? Well, contractors, no offense, are some of the worst people in the world. I'm going to say that <laughs> right now. <laughs> it took me, luckily, uh, I've grown up with a couple of these guys and things like that. And so, but I've got several quotes and things like that. And the only thing I can say is like, and I hate to say this, but then at the same time, I personally think like if you're just getting into things, like you should do all the work yourself and understand more or less like how much time a certain project takes, whether it's painting, whether it's laying down floor, whether it's installing a window, whatever the case may be. I'm a big proponent of, you know, basically getting your hands dirty and getting out in the trenches and things like that and just learning like more or less what all it takes and, and everything that goes into it before you actually go out and start dealing with, you know, a general contractor. Like nowadays you can hop on YouTube and you can learn how to hang drywall. It's not that difficult. You can learn how to put a floor down and things that sort. And just, in my opinion, you should just start from the ground up and build your way up and like learn those skills and things like that. So when it does come time for you to, you know, hire the contractor, you are prepared to know like when he's trying to like BS you and say like, Oh, you know, paying this whole house is going to take me, you know, like a month's time. You know, that doesn't take a month's time at that point. And so you're able to call him out and eliminate him from actually even hiring him before you get, you know, in, in trouble, you know, just hiring somebody and taking longer than projected and things of that sort. That answers yeah. your question. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think that's a very good point that you should learn how to do it yourself just so you don't get screwed. Like mm -hmm. everyone gets screwed by, this is just generalizations, but like mechanics and people who work at banks and, and those types of people. And contractors are kind of the same thing where they just assume you don't know what you're doing. So mm -hmm. then they can charge a higher rate and say that it takes X amount of time. Right. But what you're saying is that you should do all the work yourself. So mm -hmm. I'm just curious, when you were rehabbing all these rentals, I know you did some work on that flip, but were you living in the rentals? Like, were you house hacking or would you just go there after work? Uh, after work, after working, you know, my eight, 10 hour day, I would go straight there after work, have tools in the trunk of my car or in the back of my truck and just go and, you know, knock out whatever work that needed to be done. Okay. And this was a lot of YouTube learning, you said, right? A lot of YouTube learning. Yes. There's a bunch of free content out there and I highly recommend you take advantage of it. And so what have you done besides... I guess, rental properties and flipping. Have you dabbled in any other types of real estate? Primarily, uh, my goal and everything with real estate is, you know, buying holds for the most part. Like my intentions are in the next two years to buy another seven houses. I plan on buying one more house this year and then six in the next two years. So three each year type thing, if not, you know, faster. Wow. <laughs> 
So if you don't mind me asking, like how close are the cash flows coming from your real estate properties to covering the cost of your lifestyle? All right. So my lifestyle, like I don't have a mortgage. I'm house hacking currently. I have a roommate. He works midnights. He's an airplane mechanic. And so it works out perfect. I work in the day. He works at nights. I see him probably two days out of the week. It's great. <laughs> but my expenses for my house right now are roughly, I want to say, 650 bucks a month or so. And he pays me 500 a month. And so I'm out of 150 bucks a month. And that's, you know, taxes, insurance, you know, bills, all that all together each month. And so my living costs and living expense is super low right now. The only thing I really spent, you know, splurge on nowadays is going out to eat, probably got to eat more than I should. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, you know, I, I buy groceries and things of that, but food costs each month is probably 350 a month or so. That's counting going out to eat and groceries and all that. And other than that, all my cars are paid for. The vet's paid off, baby. The, the, vet, <laughs> the vet's paid off, baby. Bought a vet <laughs> for my cousin a couple of years ago. It's a 1979 Chevy Corvette Stingray. It's white with red interior. It looks amazing. Rock star. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, oh, yeah. And so, but gas. So something I did back in the day, I got into management at the post office for about three years. And while I was in management, I was in West Rock. It's about hours away from where I, I live. And, you know, one of those actionable tips that I picked up from one of these books, it was like, and I believe it was Scott Trench's book, Set for Life, if I'm not mistaken. Something that he would always say in his book, move closer to work or move your work closer to you. And, you know, I had my house and everything. I didn't really want to move. So I decided to move my work closer to me. So I ended up transferring from West Little Rock um, from my management position to take a carrier position again out of North Little Rock. And so now I drive 10 minutes to work, 10 minutes back, and I can make a whole month on a tank of gas roughly, you know, sometimes tank and a half. And so (laughs) for the most part, my expenses are super low. Like I spend anywhere from on on the low end, I spend probably about 900 bucks a month to on the high end, probably 1500, maybe 2000 if I'm going on a trip or so. And so how much of these real estate properties after all expenses are said and done? After all expenses are paid, um, you know, with, uh, because right now I only have two mortgages. And so, but after the mortgages are paid, after setting back for, you know, capital expenditures, vacancies and things of that sort, I believe I'm cash flowing. I'll pull it up right now. By the way, the spending app on iPhone is amazing. <laughs> you should get it. <laughs> uh, so when it's all said and done, I'm cash flowing $2,000.24. Awesome. So it sounds like you're pretty much already, you're already there. Like your cash flow is matching your, what it costs to live already. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I also have the post office income coming in to, you know, basically add the numbers. <laughs> Man, you're just crushing it. You're like super fi. <laughs> it sounds like you've got a, a really good system going on. You've kind of figured it out. You started even branching out of different types of real estate. And all this works. You know, everything I always hear from the real estate guys is a thing that's very important. And all this works if you have tenants and you have good tenants. So, and, and we're all about actual tips here. So do you have any actual tips for people on what you're doing to locate tenants and how you're making sure you're getting good tenants and just some tips they could use for that? Well, okay, so I don't know if he's a blog, but he's a big guy in the landlord community. But Mr. Landlord, he has a spreadsheet, more or less. And to find good tenants, he has a spreadsheet that he follows. And, you know, it, it's a, like a list of, you know, all these questions and things like that. And so when you're interviewing tenants and more or less, 
you know, you interview them and, you know, you take an application from them. And while you're filling out your application, you go down this list and you start and you basically rate each one of your potential tenants that you're, you know, interviewing and you score them more or less. And anything under 70%, you automatically throw away. And anybody above 70%, you basically go with the highest score ranked on this, you know, this list of credentials and things that sort. And whoever has a high score, generally call them first and you start going down the list based on score. And so that's just actionable tip. Mr. Landlord, I don't know his exact website or anything like that, but you can get his little spreadsheet and you can figure out from there. <laughs> I mean, as an engineer and a you know spreadsheet lover, I love that quantitative way to just streamline things. You've got a black and white answer there, or at least a way to you know filter that list down to some people to make it reasonable, not waste your time. So that's a that's a good put. And we will definitely find that and link to it in the show notes somehow. <laughs> it's going to be on the internet somewhere, right? Yeah, somewhere. I don't know where, but I found it a long time ago. We'll fire up the Google machine and see what comes out. Google is your best friend. So Jimmy, I'm curious. Are you like really enjoying this postman job? Because I mean, you are cash flow fi and then some just by the real estate properties. So what's your plan at the W-2 postman job? Are you going to keep it? For the time being, I um, don't want to say too much now, but <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoy what I do. Like uh, how I see it is I get paid to stay in shape. I you know get to listen to you know content all day. I've listened to things at 2x speed now. <laughs> you know, I've, I've developed my ear to you know listen to that. So <laughs> more or less get paid to walk around talk on the cell phone here and there and I'm able to conduct all my business from work. And so I don't really see any time in the near future getting rid of it anytime soon, just because I do enjoy it so much. The only cons that I really have to say about the job is like, I can't take, you know, two or three months off at a time to go travel. That's my only beef with it. (laughs) And so (laughs) for whatever reason, they don't want to let you do that. I don't know why, but, (laughs) but you know, they, you get plenty of leave. And so I've been able to kind of more or less manipulate how, you know, the system is ran and everything to get, you know, two, three weeks off at a time out of the year. And just, you know, go on trips and things of that sort. So so that's a perfect segue on the same thread is you just mentioned that you want to travel for two, three months, whatever. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you're going to have to hire a property manager. So at this point, are you doing all the managing yourself? And what are your kind of steps to go find someone to manage those properties for you? So as it stands right now, I am managing all my properties except for one. I'm kind of experimenting with property management at the moment. Well, one of my furthest properties away, it's in Jacksonville, Arkansas. And I have it currently under property management. I'm enjoying it so far. And it was a Google search more or less, you know, and, you know, looking up on bigger pockets and things like that and talking with people in the community to figure out, like, you know, who is more or less, you know, a good property manager in, you know, central Arkansas area type thing. Found this property manager from there. And I've been working with her now for a little bit over a year and a half now. And I'm satisfied with more or less her work. Um, the only issue is she only deals in the northern part of central Arkansas to some degree. And so, like, she doesn't, she won't cover all my properties. So I'm still looking and searching kind of to streamline that and have all my properties under one umbrella type thing. But you know, so far, I've been enjoying the property management just because I talk with her probably once every quarter, um, just, you know, check up on things, make sure everything's going smoothly, things that sort. But it's pretty hands off for the most part on that front. Are you also letting her um, look for tenants and even pick the tenants or do you reserve the right to pick the tenant? 
she goes and she picks tenants and things that sort as it stands now. I've had the same tenant in there now since since I've had her uh, managing the property. So I've been very satisfied with that and just haven't had any really issues you know, arise from it so far. So I'd love if you could just maybe, if you know, talk about the five-year plan for Jimmy. Yeah, the five-year plan for Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> so the five-year plan for Jimmy, I know for sure because right now I'm 27 years old. And so before I'm 30, I would like to purchase seven more properties. That will put me out a total of 12 and I'll be happy. I want to say with that number right there, that will give me enough access, you know, uh, max out 401ks and, um, you know, Roth IRAs and all that. And then also still be able to support the current lifestyle that I have. Maybe let a little bit of uh, lifestyle creep, you know, creep up a little bit. But for the most part, like I feel like I'm living my best life at the moment. Other than that, probably resign eventually from the post office and then just jump into being a real estate investor full time. But as it stands right now, I'm just I'm managing it as part time and I'm, I'm loving every second of it. Yeah, Jimmy. I mean, your story is just so incredible. And I love that we could get you on because you're one of the behind the scenesers. Like you don't have a blog, a podcast, really a platform at all, but you're crushing it. Like you're 27, you're cash flow fi by your real estate properties. You still have your job where you're making upwards of Fifty-five to seventy-five thousand dollars a year, and it's just so incredible. So I'm just wondering if there is a best place where people can kind of get in contact with you if you want them to. If not, I'll just chop this out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if they want to reach out to me, then they can reach me at xoxohomes at gmail.com. And yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> awesome. And one question we like to ask is, what is your number one tip for someone if they want to accelerate their path to financial freedom? Getting started, honestly, like I know it's been repeated and um, it's redundant at this point, but just honestly, just something I've noticed, especially with peers, and friends and things that sort, they will analyze and they look and they look and they read and they research and they learn and they learn and they learn, but they never actually pull the trigger and they never move forward. Like just get, get dirty, jump in and just get after it. Like that's the only thing I can say, just because like if you, you keep procrastinating, you keep procrastinating you keep procrastinating you'll never get started and so just i don't know buying that first deal and even if it's not a great deal just i don't know purchase a house like i don't know just getting started is the best thing i can say all right jimmy well um it's been great having you on here but um the only bad thing about your story is it makes me feel like a worthless bum um that i haven't done more with my life uh so your penance is that you have to answer the world famous wild card question so here all right, Jimmy. This is not a this is not a planned question. It's never the same. Uh, we don't know what it is. It just mysteriously shows up on our door, kind of like uh, I guess the mail. Um, <laughs> so your question today is, what is the craziest date you've ever been on? Oh man! Oh man! <laughs> Jimmy, Hold I on. know you're a ladies' man. <laughs> craziest date that I've ever had, thanks to my friend Mary. So I have a friend Mary, and back in the day. I was big anti, you know, social media and things like that. Well, she was tired of me being single and things of that sort. So she was like, Jimmy, I want to create a Tinder profile for you. <laughs> so she ends up creating this Tinder profile for me. <laughs> and it was great and everything. And she said that she was going to, you know, basically message the girls. She would set up the dates. Everything was going to be fine, grandiose and everything. More or less, I farmed out, you know, Tinder is all I did. <laughs> And so, so I end up going on this date with this gal, won't, won't say her name, and I'm thinking, you know, hey, first date, you know, everything's fine. It's more or less a blonde date on my end. 
So I show up and, you know, she immediately, she's super ecstatic and, you know, she hugs me. Everything's great like that. I'm like, whoa, she has high energy. wonder what that's about. <laughs> so <laughs> hug her everything. And so we start talking. So, you know, I start asking, you know, like kind of more or less first date questions. And, you know, she goes from being super excited to meet me to like super like what the hell is going on <laughs> type thing. Like she was more or less confused. And then it made me confused because I had no idea what was going on. Well, little did I know, um, my friend Mary, she ended up talking to this girl. She probably talked to her about a week straight and was messaging this girl back and forth and like more or less telling my story to her and basically learning everything about this girl. And I had no idea about this girl because I never thought to just, hey, I should read the text messages between, you know, uh, me, quote unquote, and, you know, this girl. (laughs) And so I show up more or less being blind. She thinks she knows everything about me, and she does pretty much. And at a certain point, she she's looking at me, and she was like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, uh, nothing's wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she was like, I don't know what it is, but, like, you're not the same person I was talking to. And I, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And at that point, I should admit it came clean and things, that sort of everything that was going on. But I decided, you know, like basically fib be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, whatever. <laughs> so at a certain point, it got silent for about mm, five minutes straight. Most awkward moment of my life. <laughs> and I'm thinking my I'm thinking I'm shaking, you know, I'm nervous as all get out, like just filled with anxiety. And I'm like, what the hell is my friend Mary? What has she done to me? I'm never doing this again. I'm never going to go out on a date ever again like this again because this is horrible. <laughs> and at a certain point, she finally, you know, she was she got done finishing a drink and she was like, I think I'm going to go. And I was like, yep, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> she got up, never talked to her again. I immediately called my friend Mary and I was like, what the hell did you just do to me? <laughs> <laughs> And then she explained to me, like, oh, I loved her so much, blah, blah, blah. We've been talking for, like, a week now. And I'm like, did you not think to share the text messages with me and things like that? And she was like, oh, I thought you'd be fine. (laughs) (laughs) But so it was a learning experience. And so I went on, like, two more dates after that. And But then I made sure I read the text messages between said said ladies. So that won't happen again, (laughs) hopefully. So for those single people, Jimmy has uncovered the biggest life hack. Outsource your social media for dating. (laughs) With the side effect of unknowingly catfishing people. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, man, Jimmy. Well, that is an awesome story. And Justin and I just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It's not an easy story to tell, but your triumphs through adversity really shows that FI is possible for anyone. Like, by statistics, you should probably be a drug addict or in jail or something, but look at you. You have five properties. You're cash flow FI, and you're just crushing it. So thanks again for coming on and sharing your story, Jimmy. Oh, thank you, Cody. Thank you, Justin. Oh, thank you so much. You were a great roommate and even a better podcast, (laughs) I guess. Justin, you know what's crazy to me? It's just how happy of a guy Jimmy is. I mean, he's been through it all from the worst adversity, and now he is absolutely crushing it at 28. I mean, look at him. He has five rental properties. He has this awesome W-2 job. He's getting ripped calves walking 13 miles a day. No complaints at all. 
Yeah, I mean, this guy has really been through the ringer, but his positivity is not just in this episode. It's not just his love for real estate. I mean, this is genuinely a happy guy. And that's what we're all looking for in this whole financial independence thing. Yeah, we're looking for the money, but we're also looking to just be happy and content with our lives. And Jimmy has definitely figured that out. Yeah, and Jimmy's just living his best life. He's enjoying every single day. And you know what? Maybe when he gets sick of delivering mail, he'll stop. He has that flexibility because he had this five lifestyle. He's keeping his expenses to 900 to 1500 a month, which is super low to most people. But to Jimmy, it's normal. And he's just kind of figured out this whole game and how to hack the best life he can possibly live. And most importantly, the vets paid off, baby. <laughs> the vets paid off, and Tinder is outsourced. <laughs> this guy's an optimizer on every front. <laughs> Whoa, what's that sound? Uh-oh, Cody. I think it's time for the call to action. All right, Justin, so I think this one's a no-brainer. Just seeing Jimmy's demeanor, how he is, this week's call to action is to focus on your happiness and to remember that Financial independence is not about the end goal. You have to enjoy the journey too and just be happy every single day. Put your best foot forward and live your best life. Dang, Cody, I thought the call to action was going to be something about calves. If you want to get just all the details on the show, head over for the show notes at thefyshow.com slash Jimmy. Join in on our Facebook community, thefyshow.com slash community. And then make sure you leave us a voicemail at thefyshow.com slash voicemail and let us know. Who do you want on the next show? What'd you like about the show? Or even though it's probably nothing, what should we change? And if you don't want to miss an episode, make sure you subscribe. Thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show. Fi Show.